Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Today's guest is Karen Thomas. Karen had a near-death experience while undergoing surgery back in 1982. She was featured in the documentary Back from the Light, and Ian's January 2017 newsletter featured her story as well. And we are lucky to have Karen today to tell us about her experience. Karen, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you for inviting me. I'm glad to be here. All right, Karen, my guest loves to hear about near-death experience stories, so can we please start on the day of yours and tell us what happened? Okay, I certainly can. Um, On the day uh, that my near-death experience took place, I was in the hospital to have back surgery. And I wasn't certain whether I was going to be able to have a laminectomy, Mm -hmm. which is a simple disc removal, or whether it would be necessary to do a spinal fusion. Mm -hmm. And that's because just prior to this happening, five years earlier, I had had a ruptured disc also. So there was uncertainty there. I was a physical therapist. And being a physical therapist, was really concerned about this surgery if it had to become a fusion because I probably would not be able to continue my career. So I had beforehand asked a lot of people from my home back in New York State because I was living in Alaska at the time this Mm. took place, my home, and also my coworkers and, and people I knew in Alaska all to pray for me that day because I really wanted to only have to have a laminectomy. So that was my only concern. So I was one of the first surgeries in the morning. And um, my husband and my two children, who were nine and six at the time, came to the hospital, were with me when I was prepped and everything, and then walked with me uh, beside the stretcher as they took me down to the OR. And right before the OR area, they were sent to a waiting room. I was brought through into the OR suite and passed several other operating rooms and then taken into the operating room where I was going to be operated at. Um, and I remember being moved over onto the, off from the stretcher onto the table. I remember the IV being started. And then, of course, I don't remember anything because I was under anesthesia and unconscious. Mm -hmm. But suddenly, I wasn't unconscious. I was conscious, but the location of my consciousness was way up near the ceiling of the operating room. In fact, my first awareness was of ceiling tiles about three or four inches away from what what I was looking at. And then I became aware of all sorts of noise. Um, The surgeon was swearing. Um, People were hustling back and forth. And so I turned my consciousness attention back toward the sound. And it was just as they were flipping my body from being on my stomach 
where they had been operating on my back, they were flipping me over so that I was face up. And so I saw the nurses, the nurse running out to get um, blood transfusion. Um, I heard all of this commotion going on. And I get, I looked at myself realizing that it was my body that I was looking at. Um, surprisingly, I guess you could say I was not, um, I wasn't anxious. I wasn't even really all that connected to my body other than to think to myself, that must be me. Um, isn't that odd? I can see myself differently than I've always seen myself in a mirror. Because when you look in a mirror, you see just your reflection back and it's uh, flat and you don't know what you look like three-dimensional as other people look at you. So that was a strange thing. Um, I was calm though. I, was, I wasn't concerned. I was peaceful. Um, but then I began to realize that, oh, I must be dead. I, but I've, but I'm, I'm alive. I'm okay. I've, I've got to let my husband and my kids know somehow I've, I've got to, got to let them know I'm all right. So as soon as I began to think that I drifted through the operating room and through the wall of the operating room out into the hallway that I had gone down when I was brought in. And then once I was out in that hallway, I drifted trying to retrace every place back the way I had come past other operating rooms and then through double doors and out into another hallway in the hospital. And as I was going in through this hallway and trying to go to what I thought would be where the waiting room was, um, then I became aware of a voice, a telepathic voice spoke to me and said, pay attention to this man. And immediately I realized there was a, a man in street clothes who was rushing in the, toward the direction I had just come from. And then I, I was able to see him up very close. Um, and I, I'm normally nearsighted and can't see very much without my glasses. Um, but I was able to like zoom in on him and see his hair color, his clothing, his eye color, um, really kind of everything about him. And then also hear his thoughts. And I heard him thinking, I've got to get in there. I have to get in there. And at the same time, I heard another man's thoughts who was up near the double doors of the OR suite. And his thoughts were, what does this guy think he's doing? He can't go in there. And, and so I heard the byplay of both of those things. And after the, the man who was rushing got to the double doors, he paused for a minute. And then the double doors swung open and he went through. Excuse me. And that's okay. And as soon as he was through and the double doors closed again, it was as though I was no longer in charge or I didn't have the volition to move my consciousness like I had up until that point. I was suddenly being drawn and being moved against my own volition. And I was being moved upward. And I literally went up through the ceiling above me 
and into the floor above and into another ceiling and through it and to the floor and until I came out the the whole roof of the operate of the uh, hospital itself and in this hospital was the same hospital that I worked in as a physical therapist and it was located right not far from the Chugiak Mountains right on the outskirts of Anchorage and I kept going up and up until I was up about the height of the mountains and then suddenly I was being drawn in the in a horizontal direction toward the city itself and out and I got carried out over the city and the city sits right on Matanuska Bay and as as I was approaching the bay itself I entered like a a, a dark cave-like opening and I was pulled inside of it and once I was inside there it, I began moving extremely fast and in the it was very dark but in the very far distance there was a pinprick of light and I was being drawn very fast toward this light and as I was pulled toward it it kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger until I literally burst out into this light at the end. And when I burst into the light, I was filled with the most enormous love and peace and joy, all of these emotions that of, of comfort. Um, it, it was just the most amazing loving feeling and as i came into this i i looked around or i was aware of this environment that that just puzzled me because it was very um arid very uh brown rocky ground um and for whatever reason i thought if 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 I was dead, that I must be in heaven. And that's not anything I figured heaven would look like. So it, it just really, it really threw me off. So then another telepathic voice spoke to me and drew my attention off to my left. And I, I saw a man who was climbing up a slope out of this area that, that I had come into. He was climbing up the slope and his voice said to me, follow me. And as soon as the words were spoken, I was like three or four feet behind him also going up this incline. Um, and so I had the time to, to look him over and I remember distinctly what he looked like. He had almost black hair and it was long. Um, and he had it pulled back and tied with a leather tie. And he had on what I guess I would describe as like sort of like a toga. It was like an off-white color. And there was a, a waist tie around it. And um, it was about mid-thigh to just above the knee length. And below that, he had um, sandals on. And the sandals had... Um, 
straps that crisscrossed up his his calf and tied below his knee. Again, that a leather type material. And my first thought was, well, this isn't Jesus. <laughs> because that was another thought about heaven was if I'm in heaven, then I'm going to be seeing Jesus. And I I just knew this that's not who he was. But I had no idea who he was. And as I followed him, we went up over um, and in the incline and out of this lower area that we had been in. And as soon as we did, the, the scenery was entirely different. And it was lush and green. And it was um, a meadow that was filled with flowers that had um, the most amazing colors to them and, and trees. Um, and the grass, the trees, the flowers, the leaves, everything was giving off light. And um, that light was like from within them and was going outward. And so I was fascinated in taking in all of this. And I didn't hadn't realized that my guide, that's what I called him, um, had gone on, continued ahead. And he had spoke, spoke again to me telepathically and said, follow me. And when I did, I found that he was at the edge of a river. Um, and the river itself was glistening. Um, it was alive, as alive as all of the flowers and every and trees and everything else were. And it glistened like diamonds. And across that river and on the other bank, I saw um, my father who had died when I was seven, my brother who had been killed in a car accident, and aunts and uncles that I, I knew that had passed away. I, and I even saw four people that I knew, but I had I didn't recognize how I knew them. And that it just suddenly came to me that these were my four grandparents who had all died before I was born. And they were all there together and they were just sending so much um, welcome to me and love and it was like, oh my gosh, she's here. Oh, isn't it wonderful? She's here. And I wanted so much to go to them and just to be with them. And the my guide spoke at that point telepathically and said, no, you can't go there right now. There's somewhere else you have to go first. And so I was reluctant, but didn't really have a choice, had to follow him. So I followed him again, and he left that spot on the riverbank, continued along the river, down around a curve in the river, and into an open area. And in the middle of this open area was an enormous building. And this building was um, glistening white, like, like pearlescent white, um, and giving off light like everything else. And it, the closest I could say to describe it would be like a Greek or a Roman building, temple, because it had all sorts of, of stairs 
a long, long, uh, uh, wide stairs with columns at the top and a big uh, double doorway, big wooden doorway. And my guide had gone up to the doorway and, and there were spiritual people like my relatives that I had seen. And they were there and in small groups and in going up and down the stairs. And when my guide asked me to follow him again, as he was up to this, the doorway, um, the doors opened and we went inside. And inside, it became an, an enormous library um, where both sides of this long open room were filled from top to bottom for stories up as high up as you could look with books and with old scrolls and down through the center of this big long room were tables and at the tables were spiritual people um, and they had books that they were looking at and there were other people standing at the at the ends of the tables and my guide said to me at that point this is where the book of life is stored and then said but this is not where we're going we're going through this area to another room so i followed him all the way through this entire long area and then there was a hallway that we entered at the end and went down a small distance and a door opened and we went into a much smaller room and in this much smaller room there was like a, an enormous almost like a conference table um, oval shape and there were a large number of of well, not that large because it was the conference table, but, you know, a number of spiritual beings who were already there and were all the way around it and waiting, waiting for us to come in. And as we came in, um, my guide said, or, you know, communicated, we're going to review your life. And as he said that, I realized that the whole center of this conference table type Thing was like clear like a glass bottom boat would be and as they he said that about my life it was as though a hologram formed above the clear area in the center of, of the conference table and this hologram covered everything that had happened in my life from the time I was born right up until then but instead of like watching it, like I'd watch a movie or a film strip, I actually was re-experiencing everything that had happened um, and every sort of interaction that I had had with other people and feeling what I felt at that time, but also feeling like I was the other person that I was interacting with. So if I was being mean, saying, something nasty to somebody, I was feeling how that hurt them and how they either were angry about it or, or sad about it. And 
how they carried that forth to somebody else and treated them differently because of it. So it was like the whole ripple effect of what my my actions and my words had been and how they impacted someone else. The good things too, though, and being a physical therapist, there were a number of things, not just from being a physical therapist, but other things too that that I hadn't really thought that much about it being all that important, but to somebody else, it really was. It really made a life-changing difference to them. And so that was an amazing experience that you would think from the way I'm describing it would have taken a long, long time, but it was like it happened instantaneously. And as it was happening, I was feeling bad every time there was something that I had done that had hurt somebody else and that had led to more domino effect of that going out from them. And yet no one that was there that was watching this with me had anything in the way of judgment or blame or negativity toward me as I was going through this. In fact, it was the exact opposite. It was, it was like, that's okay. You know, you, you may have felt you could have done better, but it's all part of experience. And it's all part of you learning about how important it is to love and, and be kind to other people and how big an impact that can have. So that that was just an amazing thing because I guess I felt that as bad as I felt, they would, you know, reinforce that and say, see, you shouldn't have done that, you know? Yeah. And there was there was just nothing like that. And then they then it was put across to me that I could stay. Um, but I could also go back to my life if I wanted, if I chose. And so they said, we want to show you things that will happen in your life if you choose to go back to it. And some things that may or may not happen in your life. And that's because everyone has free will. And even though we helped you plan your life, before you were born and there are certain things that you want to experience the people that you want to experience them with have their own free will and they may choose something that alters that plan completely so some of these things are definite but those that can be impacted by other people's free will may or may not happen but we want you to be aware of this before you make your choice. So I was shown things about my future life. And, and then I know that there is something that happened during my experience that I've never been able to remember. It's like a race. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know why, but I'm sure there's a good reason. And the next thing that I really was aware of was being in a totally different room. And at that point, I was 
with my guide again, but it was just him and I. And he expressed to me that he wanted me to see what was happening in the hospital. So at that point, um, I was shown the waiting room where my husband and my two children were. And it was as though there was no ceiling to the room at all. And I was just from above looking through um, and able to see the room itself and what was happening. And I saw the doctor who had operated on my back standing in the doorway in his scrubs and my husband standing in front of him and my two children like on a small couch behind him. And at that point, as I was watching this, my guide then said, I also want you to look over here. I want to show you the prayers of the people that have been praying for you. And as I looked off to that side, I saw what were, it was shown to me as though each prayer was a musical note and like a, on a score on, you know, on music that you would read. And what he impressed to me was each prayer has its own vibration and each one links to it to the next one and so we showed all of these musical notes like linking together and then they were coming up closer and closer to where we were and then at that point he he had me realize that my daughter was praying because she was afraid that i had died when the doctor came and was talking to my husband and so he showed her praying that I would live. And her prayer, once it linked on to the other prayers from the other people, all of a sudden I was filled with all of the emotion of, oh my God, that's my, my husband, that's my kids. My, my kids are, are gonna grow up without a mother like I grew up without a father if I don't decide to go back to my life. And so <laughs> it was, it was, you know, impossible for me not to choose to go back as much as I just was in so much peace and love and not yet having gotten to be with my father and my brother and my family there. But it was, you know, I just knew that I had to make the choice to go back to my life. So once I made that decision, my guide communicated and said, you will be able to remember enough of this and you will have things that will confirm to you the validity and the truth of this experience. But you won't be able to remember everything because if you did, then it would it would color your free will. You would no longer, your your will wouldn't be free any longer because you'd say, oh, this is supposed to happen at such and such a time in the future. And so you wouldn't be choosing one way or another anymore. You would be following what you remembered. And so he said those things would be removed from my memory. So I don't remember a return trip like I remember how I got there 
after I left my body. Um, and the next thing I was aware of was um, waking up in a recovery room with my husband and the kids next to my my bed that I was lying on and immediately being filled with this peace and love and calm and all the emotions that I was feeling when I was on the other side and as though it were a bubble of protection completely around me and filling me. And so that immediately was the first thing that confirmed that, wow, this really, really happened. (laughs) I've never felt anything like this before. And um, and then and I had to go to intensive care and I was um, in the hospital for 12 days. Um, and at some point during the time when I was in the hospital, uh, probably within a, a few days, um, I was visited um, by a doctor And as soon as he walked into the room, I recognized him as the man that I had first been told to pay attention to when I was out of body and in the hospital hallway. And as it turned out, he was a doctor and he had saved my life um, by coming in and performing a surgery. He was, you know, um, my artery had been caught accidentally when they during the surgery they thought they were taking out a piece of disc or the surgeon did and he instead had um, a hold of my left common iliac artery and he had a tweezer type instrument and had ripped a hole in it and so what had happened on the operating room table is that I had bled out instantly and um, and so they had to try to figure out exactly where this bleed was coming from and try to repair the artery and see if if I could be saved. Mm-hmm. So um, so that was the doctor. When I went to visit him um, to get staples removed from my abdomen where they had totally opened me up um, after going home and being home for a while, I had made up my mind that I wanted to say something to him about what I had seen when I was out of my body that day and ask him. And, and also my husband was with me when I was there for that follow-up appointment. And I wanted him to know that what I had told him about what I had experienced, that if it could be verified in any way by this doctor, then my husband wouldn't think I'm nuts, maybe, <laughs> you know. So, so that day, um, I did say to him, you know, I had this experience. This is what I saw. You know, I, I saw you. You were rushing. You were thinking about how you had to get into the operating room. And this is what you were wearing. And, and the, the other man didn't think you should go into the OR you know, because you were in just regular clothes. And he said, how could you know that? Um, he said, I was in my my office seeing patients, and I got paged to come to the hospital stat because of what had happened, the, you know, that you had bled out and that they needed me to come to try to see 
if that artery could be repaired, if you could be saved. And so he verified what I had seen, which is what they call a veridical experience, mm -hmm. which you probably have heard of, <laughs> um, when a third party can verify you know, what actually took place, what you saw when you were out of your body with a near-death experience. So that was the part of the proof that my guide had mentioned to me, that you will have proof that this happened. Um, and so that was a really neat part of it. That's an amazing story. Did you ever learn anything else about your guide? Well, that is a pretty amazing story in itself. Very amazing, in fact. <laughs> many, many, many years later, after all of this, I learned meditation. And when I would meditate, I, on occasion, would be able to visualize in my meditation this guide who I had, had seen during my near-death experience. And over the years, I had so often wondered, who was he? I had felt so close to him while I was there. Who was he? Mm. You know, but I had never gotten that sort of feedback during meditation. Well, this one time, it was just about a week before I was going to go to a consciousness conference in Raleigh. And I was meditating, and my guide appeared, and he suddenly communicated to me, you and I lived together thousands of years ago in South America. And said, then he said, my name is Carlos. And after I came out of my meditation, and I'm thinking to myself, well, how can that be? Because Spaniards came to, to South America, yes, but it wasn't thousands of years ago. There weren't any Carloses in South America thousands of years ago, you know. So it, it puzzled me. But at the conference conference that I went to, in between sessions, you know how you, um, you, you talk with other people and there's snacks or drinks or whatever. And for some reason, I was drawn to a woman who had three or four people around her who was talking to the people. And I heard her say that she was a healing touch practitioner and instructor and that she had just come back from a trip to South America to Peru. And as she said those words, I began to feel like almost tingly inside. Something's going on here. And so I went over closer to her and she described that while she was teaching, she was also attending and going to sacred sites in Peru. And this one day she was supposed to go and the ride fell through. And so a young man who was attending the healing touch sessions uh, and was a, a native you know, to South America, um, took her and drove her, said he could take her to the site, he knew where it was. And so they had both gone there and um, she said it was an amazing experience to go to that site because she had a, a vision herself of what that site had been like thousands of years ago. And she said it was an amazing vision that I saw 
And she said, and this this person who was kind enough to bring me, this young man, is so such a natural at healing touch that I've invited him to come up to my holistic center. And so she said, so next week, Carlos is going to be coming to my holistic center. Mm -hmm. So when she said that, it was like, this is just way too much to be coincidence. This is crazy. And, and the emotion just filled me up and I started to cry. And she said, what's wrong? You know, so I explained to her about my near-death experience. I explained to her about my meditation and all of that. And she said, oh, let me show you a picture of him on my phone. So she brought up the picture that she had of him on her phone. And he was looked exactly like my guide that I had in my near-death experience, except in modern-day clothes. And, and she said, oh, and let me show you the sacred site. And so she brought up on her phone, and she said, the name of this site is Karal Supe. It's C-A-R-A-L, and then the second word is S-U-P-E. And she said, it's the oldest archaeological site in all of Peru, about five to 6,000 years old. And she, when she brought the picture up on her, her phone, it was the dry, rocky ground mm-hmm. site that I had come out into when I came out of the tunnel or cave. And I said, oh, my gosh, it looks exactly like it. And I said, and in my near-death experience, when we went up over the incline, it was completely different. It was lush and green and beautiful. And she said, that's exactly what it's like there, because it's like down in a depression. But when you come up and out of there, it's all very lush and green because the ocean breezes come in off the ocean. And that location, as it hits that part, it turns it all very green and lush. And so the next week I got to go to her holistic center and I got to meet Carlos and Carlos um said i don't understand this a bit i don't have any memory that matches with your near-death experience or anything like that but he said i just somehow i just know that it's true and so i asked him well when were you born you know because this is a young man and this is 30 some years after my near-death experience Mm -hmm. And it turned out he was literally born two years before I had my near-death experience. Hmm. And so that took me to studying. Um, if you Have you ever heard of Michael Newton and Journey of Souls? Mm-mm, I haven't. He, he is, um, well, he was, he has passed away, but he was a, um, a psychotherapist who did... Um, hypnotherapy with patients in order to help them overcome um, problems that they had that were based on their their hurts that had taken place in their life earlier in their life. And accidentally, he found that he was able to take people back in hypnosis and actually take them back to the time period before they were even born. And and have them describe what they were doing when they were in the afterlife and before they came into this life. And, and he 
did case kept complete case studies on all of these people and turned them into a series of books. And it was Journey of Souls and Destiny of Souls. And he found that there are instances where a spiritual guide, a person's spiritual guide, can incarnate and be a part of the person that they're guiding's life t- lifespan at the same time that they're still their spiritual guide. Because what he found was that everyone who incarnates into a lifetime always leaves a portion, a percentage of their essence on the other side and only takes it another percentage of their essence into the life that they incarnate into. So they are always, they are always on the other side as well. Hmm. And that I found fascinating because I know a lot of people, when they think about reincarnation, they think, well, gee, if my loved one has gone on ahead of me and they've died before me, might they reincarnate before I ever pass away and I won't see them because they've gone into a totally different life? No, because an essence, a part of their essence is always in the afterlife. Hmm. And so that was a fascinating, fascinating thing. And Carlos and I have remained friends. Um, He, you know, of course, is back in South America, but we keep in contact via Facebook. And there was... A special bond there. How was Carlos's reaction when he told you? Was he like happy or freaked out or confused? He was, he, or? He's an exceptionally, um, I guess you could say, aware, um, an in-tuned type of a person. And although he said, you know, I, I can't really explain this, I just know that that this is true. And we had, um, we just felt like we had a bond with one another. I mean, he would, you know, he would put an arm around me and, and, you know, and we just felt like we had known each other forever. I don't know how else to put it, Mm. but, you know, Mm. um, it was, it was very special. Before your NDE, were you a religious person or not? And afterwards, how did you change? Did you become more or less religious or any other changes that had happened to you? Before my near-death experience, I was, I considered myself a born-again Christian. Um, and I had real concerns about um, loved ones in my family like I expressed to you, my father and my brother and and aunts and uncles that I had seen during my experience, that they would not be able to go to heaven because they had not in their lifetime, to my knowledge, ever been born again. You know, so I had anxiety about that. And I had concerns about, you know, my children, other people that I love. But after my near-death experience, I just, I knew that, first of all, that that was, that there were no um, T's to cross and I's to dot and things that must be believed and must be done a certain way, or else you wouldn't be able to go enter the afterlife, because that wasn't the case at all with those that I saw that were already there. And 
And I also knew that there was no judgment, even if I had done things that I was ashamed of, no one who was there judged. And and the light that was filling everything, I, I thought of that as that, that light itself actually represented our creator. Mm-hmm. And everything about it was love. And nothing about it was judgment. Um, and so when I came back to my life and would attend church, um, I would feel as though anytime there was talk about um, the people who make it into the, into heaven and those that are punished and sent to hell and and any talk about that at all just graded against what I had experienced so badly that I just for a long long time it bothered me and then I just you know, I said, I can't go to church anymore. I have got to find out for myself what I truly believe. And so I left, you know, for quite a long period of time. Um, now I'm actually back to a church, but with my own set of beliefs intact and in a church environment where no one else is judgmental. Everyone has their own individual set of how they believe about God, and and yet they love and and accept everyone else. It's a bit different of an environment. How was the doctor's reaction to what you told him when you said, you know, I saw you in your clothes? Was he believing you? Was he shocked? Was he... He was shocked. Yeah. Yeah. you know, he just, and really the only thing I remember him saying was, how could you know that? And this is another interesting part of things. After I finally went to IONS, um, near, you know, International Association for Near-Death Studies, and was in the church that I am talk, talked to you about a minute ago, um, we had a group where everyone expressed their own backgrounds and their beliefs. And one of the people in that group was um, a retired vascular surgeon. And when I shared about my experience, he said to me, he will remember you, even though it's 30 some years later, see if you can find him Mm -hmm. and let him know what's happened since. So I went online and I found out that he was still practicing in Anchorage. And so I emailed him and asked if he remembered me and oh yes he did and yes he had taught a number of other doctors because he was a head of surgery by that time about what he had done that saved my life and he remembered that I had had a near-death experience and that I had shared it with him and he commented that since in the years since that time he had had a number of people who had shared that they had had near-death experiences with him but none that had had an experience quite like mine. Hmm. That's interesting. When you're at the table at your life review and you had these beings there, first of all, did they appear as kind of light beings or could you actually make out what they looked like? And two, do you, in retrospect now, do you feel like they were kind of like the, like, 
people in charge of who goes to Earth and not, and people's experience and some kind of overseers or something? Um, no. Um, another thing that's in Michael Newton's books is what he calls your soul group. Mm-hmm. And your soul group, from what he explained, um, are people who who do always have close ties with you in multiple lifetimes, and you work together to plan out what um, a number of you want to accomplish in, in a specific lifetime. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that was, they were part of my soul group. Mm-hmm. Some of your soul group um, incarnates at the same time that you do, and some of them don't. Now, but you always keep inter interconnecting with one another, and I felt it was them. Um, the the overgroup that you're talking about, um, they, I also because I've had um, not just past life regressions done, but also have had between life regressions done. I have had a regression in which I encountered the the beings that you're that you're describing and they are um at least in my experience they each of them there were about gosh I'm trying to remember if it was like nine or ten of them but they had different colors representing them and the colors that they were represented different um I guess you could say spiritual attributes that that they were reviewing with you how you were progressing in those areas. Um, and they were different, a different set of beings than my soul group being. After interviewing quite a number of people, a couple people have told me that there are parts of their NDE that they generally never share publicly, but they may share them between one NDE to another. So I'm curious if that is true, and if so, is there something that you've never shared before that you're willing to share with us? In my case, no. Not that I can think of. Mm-hmm. Um, but because I've become close friends with other near-death experiencers, I have had one-on-one discussions with a number of other people, and they have... Um, a few of them have from time to time shared a part of their experience that they don't generally share when they give like an interview like this about Mm -hmm. their near-death experience. Mm -hmm. But because they know that I'm an experiencer too, um, and they aren't as worried that somebody's going to think that they've really gone around the bend, (laughs) they will share it with me. Mm -hmm. Without you betraying their trust, because I don't want you to do that, is there a general subject matter that you found that they talk about that you could share? Um, I guess the thing that I would would say is that um, a few of them have commented about uh, experiencing uh, life on other planets. Okay. Um, and 
encountering uh, what they would consider to be, uh, I guess you could say, alien beings in terms of from another planet. Mm-hmm. Um, some experiences like that. Well, that's amazing that you came up with that because another big topic on my channel is alien abductions. And there are people in the UFO world that believe that aliens come here interdimensionally. They're not, it's too far Mm -hmm. to fly on a UFO to get here. Even at Mm -hmm. the speed of light, it takes too long. And they call those aliens, they just call them non-human intelligences. Mm -hmm. And so those people will believe that people who have NDEs are meeting all kinds of non-human intelligences as well as, you know, human. Well, actually, once you're out of your body, you're not human really (laughs) anymore anyways. You know, they may consider themselves multidimensional beings or everybody's a multidimensional beings. And I've had a recent guest that said she was in a, a place of light talking to God and then she was supposed to be, she thought she was going back. The next thing she knew, she was on an alien ship. Mm-hmm. And then she came back. Mm-hmm. So it's very fascinating that you say that because it almost, again, kind of confirms that for me. Yeah, with, I have with... had one or two that have mentioned an alien ship mm-hmm. as part of their, as actually part of their near-death experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's very fascinating. Well, first of all, let me, two quick questions here. Um, one is, is this whole memory something that you, it's not only that it doesn't fade away, you just can't shake it? this experience for you? Oh, absolutely. That's, I mean, it's the way I can explain it is to say, um, I told you that I had worked in the hospital that, that my operation took place in Mm -hmm. and I could not, if you took me there today, I could not take you to where the physical therapy department was. I would not remember my getting there um, or be able to get myself there. And yet everything about my near-death experience is 100% current, clear as a bell memory. And it just is always there. And in fact, when I tell it and when I share it with anyone like this, in many ways, I'm re-experiencing it. And the hardest part of it that I always have is is the part where my daughter's prayer. Yeah. You know, because that hurts to re-experience. Right. Um, but yeah, it's it's like um it's something that is always, always there. And you step into it and then it you're just there again, and then you step out of it in a way. Um, but it's not something that is like any other memory in your life. Have you considered that the act of you coming back for your daughter has been a massive good thing? And the, and all the good things that you have done for her by coming back? I have. And, and not only for her, although that's a very big part also. Um, and my son, but also for other things that took place shortly after my near-death experience and even long after. But within two years after my near-death experience, my sister 
who was 20 years older than me and essentially had helped to raise me was like a almost more like a mother than a sister um, after my father died when I was so young. Um, she developed breast cancer and it was terminal breast cancer. And um, my experience was in 82 and she passed away in 85. And I was able to be with her through her surgeries and her chemo and, and be able to talk to her about the afterlife and just, you know, be able to really help a lot in that situation that, that I happen to believe was one of the things I was shown about what would happen if I returned to my life. Mm -hmm. um, different things like that that have taken place since I came back to my life, once they actually occur, I'll have almost like a deja vu experience of, oh, yes, this was one of the things that I was shown and knew would be very difficult if I agreed to come back to my life, but also knew what good could come out of it if I could come back to my life and then share what I had experienced to be able to help them. After your NDE and all the other stuff that you have done, uh, these past life reviews, in-between life reviews, have you ever sat and thought, like, what's the point to all this? Like, what is the point to life? What is the point that we keep doing this over and over? Um, I have, I guess I have thought that, but I have also felt like um, there is a very important uh, reason to life and that it's all about learning how to express that kind of love that you experience in the near-death experience to others and to to help others who are going along their own spiritual path to take another step that's benefiting them and that in the long run it, it's all so so very uh, positive the whole package um, I don't I'm probably not expressing that really well but but I never have felt since then any sort of a oh what's the use this this is just you know just is not worth it this is just too 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 um, difficult or anything like that I, in fact, I always just have more of a tendency to look for, okay, what what's the growth here? Where can I grow from what is happening now? And, and how can I help someone else who's struggling to find a positive and, and, and look for that way that they can grow and be better out of it? I kind of thought about something when you were talking about love and maybe... This is kind of piggybacking on what you were saying is when you had your near death experience, you felt more love over there than you than anybody could ever possibly feel here. And you're just trying to spread some of that love like you felt over there. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. 
All right. <laughs> we agree. I don't know where else to go now. <laughs> um, so before we go, because we're running out of time, do you interact with people on social media like Facebook or would you like to give out your Facebook or your in, your email address or anything if somebody would like to contact you? Um, I do interact on Facebook. Um Mostly through, there are groups on Facebook, um, such as there's one that's just called Near-Death Experiences, and there's others that are related to near-death experiences that I now generally do uh, communicate or re relate with people. But I do give out my, my um, email address, and my email address is B L A N. C E T H at L I V E dot com. And I do that um, to let people know that if they will email me and in the subject say um, about your, you know, something like regarding your near death experience or something about your near death experience, if they have something that concerns them or something that they really would like to know if I could give them some feedback on um, that I do that quite a bit. Okay, great. All right, Karen, before we wrap it up here, do you have one last message that you'd like to share the audience with? Uh, I think pretty much I've said what, what I would share with them, you know, that uh, think, try to live your life um, to show to everybody that you encounter uh, kindness and compassion and what you would like to always experience uh, from someone else in every way that you possibly can. That's great. I like that. All right, Karen, thank you so much for giving me some of your time. I really appreciate you. I'm glad that I could. Thank you. And um, uh, I wish you the best in everything you do and have a great evening. Thank you. You have a great evening too. Thank you. Bye now. Bye-bye. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.